This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. Let me introduce myself first. My name is Hal Stewart, in for Bryce for this week. And our guest today, first up there is Bundesliga journalist Chris Williams, Manu Fate, founder of the Football Grad Network and Transfer Market journalist. Both welcome back to Gagan Pressing. Chris, first of all, how are you doing, my friend? Hal, I'm very well, thank you. It's nice to hear your voice again. It's always nice to hear Bryce's voice, but a change is as good as a rest, as they say. I'm great because there's football to watch, but how are you? Oh, it's good to hear you guys as well. It's been far too long. It's actually chatting to you. Normally, I'm walking along, doing my hour-long exercise, hearing you in my ears, and it's great to actually be able to chat and get some first-hand analysis, particularly on another really exciting weekend, particularly when you consider how long we've had to wait for football to be back in the Bundesliga. Some stadiums had fans, other stadiums, Manu, were empty. What was it like for you watching the return of the Bundesliga like this? It's better, I would say, than having no fans, right, Hall? I thought that having some fans is is a huge improvement over having no fans at all, because when when the Bundesliga came back in, in March, um, uh, sorry, in, in May, not in March, the, the, the having the empty stadiums seemed very strange. So even, I mean, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but even listening to the Never Walk Alone and at Signal Iduna Park in Dortmund, it was just so nice having that back. And I know it's still kind of touch and go with, with how many people are allowed in and um, a lot of it depends on the development of the coronavirus, but I think it is it's a great step in the right direction and it just adds it add it adds a very fundamental part about this game, which is the fans, and it's great to have them back. Chris, there'll be Premier League fans listening, desperate to get back to the terraces to watch their beloved side. So how does the return of fans work in German football? It has appeared like Germany as a nation has been a few steps ahead of Britain in returning to some form of normality. Yeah, they have indeed. So Germany is on a state-by-state recommendation. So in the UK, uh, pretty much Boris says what he wants, changes it hourly, daily, weekly, whenever he wants, really, and we all have to follow that. We have seen it a little bit in the UK. They're looking at regional lockdowns. Okay, so I think the northeast and northwest have got some sort of curfew going on at the moment. But in Germany, it's the it's the individual states and then the federal state, the, the main federal government, backs that. So in certain areas, in certain areas, the those local states have voted um, for fans to come back because of the protocols that are being put in place. So I know we started the fixtures with no fans in Bayern. That was because of the rates and the transmission rates. But then we get to other places like North Rhine-Westfalenstad or North Rhine-Westfalen, where Dortmund was in particular, that was okay. Um, but then an hour down the road, Cologne, not okay. So it, it's on a, a real local level, which I think works. Obviously it does work because we've seen fans come back in. And I hope um, that not just the Premier League, but all leagues around Europe can 
approach it in the way where they look at what's going on in that area. I think it becomes a little more difficult in other leagues because Germany is still quite a, a community-driven club. So when Manu and I have visited, we stayed in Cologne and we travelled to Gladbach. That's probably about an hour on the train. That's round about the furthest, take out the big two, Bayern and Dortmund, than, than what people will travel to. So I spoke to some people at Dortmund on Friday um, when they said 10,000 fans would be allowed back in, but it was very strict. It was within the the small region only. So if you live in Hamburg, you couldn't have decided, oh, brilliant, Dortmund are playing. I'm a season ticket holder. I make that journey every other week. It takes me four or five hours. I'll be going. That wasn't allowed. You had to be from the immediate local area, which allows them to, to keep it under control, which I think is what we all need at the moment. Manu, do you think it's actually important, even if it's just a few fans, to get them back in the stadium? I can't imagine that uh, financially football clubs nowadays have too much riding on exactly a full stadium. Of course, income comes from so many other areas nowadays. So is it even that important to get them back in? Oh, I think it's hugely important because Chris already mentioned it, especially in Germany, the, the clubs are very community driven, right? If the fans have a very big say in how football clubs are run in, in the country. So I think already for that it's it's quite important you are right um the the income stadium income is only about on average about 16 16 percent of what the club earns per season right so it's a, it's, a, it's marginal but i think it's it's just the symbolism of it to have people back in at games and um the country working towards what is the new normal, right? We will have to live with coronavirus for a very long time and we will have to be able to, not just in, in football, and this is this is something that the, the um, minister president of Bavaria said, um, Söder, he said, this is not just for football, but this is going to be, if this works, it's going to benefit all sorts of other sports as well, hockey and volleyball and handball all these sports that where the income from tickets is far more important than it is in football right and also non-sporting events um theaters concerts all that sort of stuff so for fans to come back it's not just important for the game itself and the atmosphere but it's also it is it, the symbolism is 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 the big part of it it shows that even in coronavirus, if everyone behaves, if the transition rate is below 35 by 100,000, we can we can sort of try this and we can see like, until we have a vaccine, we can still have um, events with people in the stands. And I think that's really the importance behind it. So, Chris, just before we move on from this particular area, I'd like a little bit more detail, if you could. Why were there no fans specifically at the opening game? Earlier in the week, or earlier last week, the um, the federal states announced that they'd given a uniform approach, so they would allow 20% of the capacity back in. That would be a maximum. But in each particular region, in each particular area, it had to be at less than 35 people per 100,000, number of infections. Um, and it went from slightly below 35, around about the 34 mark. It shot up to over um, 47 overnight in in the city of munich you know and in the area itself so the um the munich mayor said look really sorry we know we'd planned for this but unfortunately at the minute um we can't allow it to happen he, he actually said it would send the wrong signal not just to people in munich but to people everywhere across the country that if their rates were slightly higher or well above than what was the recommended level if they just let fans in anyway it would send a really bad message. So that's why they didn't um, play that particular game, which is obviously buying against Schalke without fans. And we saw that replicated um, across um, the rest of the country, depending on the match day. But yeah, for Bayern itself, unfortunately, Friday night, the levels were too high to allow fans back into the stadium. Kimmich. And his searching ball finds Serge Gnabry! And that is a blistering start from the record champions. Four minutes into the game and Serge Gnabry already opens the scoring. Bayern's opening goal against Schalke. So, Manu, Bayern Munich did not miss a beat. They destroyed Schalke 8-0. The kind of scoreline I expect to see when I'm watching my nephew's under fives football. 
Yeah, or when Bayern play Barcelona, right? Um, that's just <laughs> yeah. how it is with me, Bayern. They're, they're very good at football. And um, unfortunately for Schalke, they're just not very good at football at the moment. And I think the, the gap... Uh, I was chatting to Chris after the game and we were kind of dis discussing what Schalke are going to do with this result. Because for Bayern, I mean... They uh, they are the best team in Europe at the moment, having won the Champions League, right, and having won the, the, that competition in such convincing fashion. I think no one really expected Schalke to do much against them because Schalke is such a mess in so many ways. But look, this game could have been fifteen nil. There were so many chances, and Bayern were so dominant. And I, I feel after the seventy minute mark, they kind of said, "Okay, well, look." These guys are dead. We're just gonna we're just gonna let them leave and um, ensure that the score line is not going to be too high. But it's it sends a signal to the the rest of the league saying we we very much have con conserved our our form from that Champions League run. We're still you know even though we only had a few weeks off, we're we're, we're in top form still. And I think in some ways that Bayern dominance is is a scary signal um, because it shows that they are very much intent of not losing a beat and not going going to win another title. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's lots of positives for them. Uh, the way Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané combined, um, you know, it, it reminds us of the good days with um, Robin and Ribéry both wearing a seven and number 10 now. And I think there's, there's there was... If you're a Bayern fan, you you will have a smile on your face because you know that there's going to be another run that um, is probably going to take them to the next title. Manu, I haven't been a guest on this podcast without one of you mentioning Frank Ribery. And I thought mm. with him moving to Fiorentina, I would be safe. Uh, Chris referenced once that I look a little bit like Ribery and I feel like you're now personally both attacking my uh, physical features. So uh, thanks again for that. You can check me out on Twitter and see if you agree. Uh, Chris, let's come to you now. You can weigh in on this. The result there, 8-0. My wife's not particularly interested in football, but I just said to her, you'll never guess this scoreline in a professional football match. And yeah, Manny's referenced already that this has happened before against other teams. So does this result, Chris, surprise you? <laughs> so the 8-0 surprised me. The fact that Schalke were beaten didn't surprise me. I mean, we're looking at a side under David Wagner who haven't won a game in the Bundesliga since January. Uh, I know there was a big break, um, so that does sound a little worse than it would normally do. But we are in September um, and we are around about where we would normally be, maybe a couple of games behind. So to say that Schalke haven't won since January um, it looks bad, whether we've had a break for the pandemic or not. I thought... They might get beaten comprehensively. Now, by comprehensively, Hal, I thought maybe 4-0, maybe 5 at a push. But 8, and Manu's quite right, it could have been 15. I think I think that Hansi Flick tried to maybe take some of his senior players off and bring a couple of the youngsters on, and even they were getting um, in amongst the goals. But, it, yeah, the, the defeat doesn't surprise me. You're looking at a Schalke side that, you know, last season were beaten... Um, by Leipzig 5-0 they were beaten by Dortmund 4-0 they were even beaten by Augsburg who aren't the best side <laughs> in the world they beat them 3-0 Wolfsburg beat them 4-1 and on the last day of the season which sounds very strange to say it was only in June it was only a few weeks ago really Freiburg battered them 4-0 um, I am not surprised they've been beaten but 8-0 it's not good and, and speaking to some people I know in that area um, I think David Wagner has got two games, two home games, to save his job. David Wagner, a manager that many of us know, of course, from his time in England working with Huddersfield Town, and actually they've often been my dark horses, Schalke, for maybe just causing a bit of an upset, and I've been made to look a fool every time I've said that. But Manu, it's not actually good for the league and for the sport to have this level of disparity, is it, with, with an 8-0 defeat? I think just from even those looking from afar, it doesn't look good, it doesn't paint the right picture of the Bundesliga. Well, yeah, but you have to remember the Schalke are a very bad side. I mean, Chris said it; they haven't haven't really been good since January, and they um, there's all sorts of things that emerged when the league got shut down for um, COVID nineteen. 
Um, they um, significant depth. I think it's 160 million euros that they were in depth. They were one of those teams that if the league hadn't come back without fans, they could have faced bankruptcy. And this is a word that you know you don't use use just like that because you know it, it suggests that the company is in huge trouble. But it's true that they faced bankruptcy. The team could have you know gone belly up and. Uh, in German football, that means automatic relegation to the amateur leagues, right? Um, so that it, it's it's a very serious situation, not just on the field, but all around. And then they lost Weston McKenney to one of the few good players that they have. They might lose more good players. I mean, Chris and I both reported that during the week that Liverpool are very heavily interested in Ozan Kabak, the defender, centre-back, 20-year-old Turkish centre-back. Um, they... If you play for a club like that as a player too, and it's a constant crisis mode, and you have been in constant crisis mode since January, and then you face a team like Bayern Munich, it's not surprising that you get destructed like this. Now, of course, people who follow maybe the league only at a glance and every once in a while check it, and maybe the last time they watched a Bundesliga game in 2001, but pretend that they've seen every single Bundesliga game in the last 20 years. They will think, okay, well, Bayern have destroyed Schalke 8-0, and this is typical for the Bundesliga. That the disparity between Schalke and Bayern is, is huge, but they don't realize that Schalke really, for, for me personally, I think they are a club, they're in enormous trouble. I, I, we, we were talking about going into this season. This is a club that is structurally has been weakened by years and years and years of bad management. And I, I know Chris knows the people that are in charge right now very well but um they are sort of trying to clean up a mess that was left by left for them by the predecessors and and i always think it's kind of surprising that some of these people that have actually created still get jobs in football that's always what surprises me the most that there's people out there that you know that have worked for this club have have destroyed what is you know by membership the third largest second largest club in german football has a massive fan following, has for some years even, you know, challenged for a title. This club is is it's been gutted in so many in so many ways. And that's um that's why where the result comes from. It's not that Schalke Schalke um are giant only in terms of the, the fan the fan memberships, the the size of the club, but this this club is in enormous trouble. Well, totally unrelated to people keep getting rehired after failing at previous clubs. I grew up in a town next to uh, Peter Ridsdale. And as I would stress again, totally unrelated to what we were just talking about. Let's focus on a positive then. Bayern, Manu, the standout performances and also a youngster we're excited about. Can you tell us more? Yeah, and uh, Jamal Musiala, um, he's, he was the one who didn't, I think, get the memo that uh, Bayern probably had enough goals scored against Schal Schalke and uh, 7-0 was a, maybe enough. He scored the, the eighth goal for Bayern and he's um, only 17 years, six months and 23 days and he's now the youngest Bayern scorer um, in the club's history. He broke a record that's over 20 years old set by uh, Roque Santa Cruz. A lot of people, Roque Santa Cruz, I think, is actually still playing in Paraguay if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's in his 40s now. But yeah, so he broke that record. Um, he's an interesting player because he was born in Stuttgart, but um, the family moved to England um, where he played for Chelsea. He has played for both English and German youth national teams and has a Nigerian background. So he is a player to look out for. Hansi Flick spoke very highly of him. I know Bayern, Bayern are still looking to maybe add um, another attacking player, another winger to to the system, but they're also saying, okay, maybe we'll find someone in our youth academy who we can sort of trust for that backup role. And while Flick has also said that, okay, look, maybe we he needs some time, he needs to develop. He's he's very slight. I think um, I saw saw today that he only weighs sixty three kilograms, uh, so he has to put up some bulk. But he could be he could be one of those young players where we say, okay, well, maybe Bayern don't need to go and address the situation on the market and can actually trust one of the youth players, one of the academy players. And ah, it's and it's one to watch for sure. Um Jamal Musiala, remember that name. Yeah, and Roque Santa Cruz in two thousand and six, Manu, you probably remember. I think it was mm. Kicker who voted him the sexiest man at the World Cup. That must be true. Yeah, Frank Ribery must have been uh, second. Chris, 
Bayern lost uh, Thiago. He was Thiago, Thiagoing, Thiagon. So uh, how can they replace him? First of all, that's an excellent pun. Well done on that. Um, In fact, Chris, I put it on Twitter. It got like two likes. Wow. Um, oh, right. Well, I might, I, I, I might, I might steal it. <laughs> retweet it. <laughs> no, no, I'll just steal it. Well, retweet it. Can they, um, can they replace him? I mean, it's a good question, really. Um, I mean, I think we saw immediately Thiago's worth. Um, I know this isn't a Premier League podcast, but I think Manu will find it quite funny that Thiago came from the Bundesliga, supposedly a farmer's league in inverted commas, played 45 minutes, smashed all the Opta records. Um, I'm sure Manu had a nice little smile at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at where Thiago plays, he either plays as that holding uh, midfielder or he can play as that slightly forward. So if you look at who they've got, they've got Joshua Kimmich. I think everybody saw his worth in the Champions League final. I know Thiago played exceptionally well in that game as well, but Kimmich was fantastic as well. Um, set up the goal. You've got Javi Martinez um, when he's fit. And then centrally, there's Goretzka, there's Tolisso, um, and there's also Michael Cousins, who they signed from Gladbach a while ago, who hasn't really had that um, chance to you know, go and show his worth. Um, Alba, um, if he's not injured and if he signs a contract extension, he can play centrally in the midfield. I know he's a centre-back, but he can play there. Um, and they've got um, Adrian Fein as well. Obviously a little younger, um, 21, not really seen that much of him. Um, but he can play in that role should he require and should Bayern want him to do that. So they are quite well stocked centrally. I mean, Thiago's a world-class player. If they would have kept hold of him, I think it's evident he wanted to go and not because he'd had enough of Bayern. I think you know he wanted to go and have a new challenge. And um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigger spoke very eloquently on Sunday. I think it was how you know, Thiago was crying because he was allowed to leave and he really wanted this new challenge. He was very grateful for everything Bayern had done and I think it was just the end of that time and I don't think they're going to miss him. So, I mean, had they lost Robert Lewandowski, for instance, or Manuel Neuer, I think they are almost unpluggable holes at the moment. So no matter how good Thiago is, um, they are very well stocked centrally. So I don't think they will miss it long term. I think it's just the evolution of the Bayern side that Hansi Flick was brought in to oversee. Fascinating to see what does happen. And Manu, is there going to be any other business that Bayern are going to do if they got anything transfer-wise planned in this window before, as we all know, the transfer window doesn't close, it slams shut. Yeah, that's <laughs> on, on October 5th, um, which is very late. Um, can't, for some, it can't come soon enough, I think. But yeah, they do have um, they want a right back and the player that they have targeted is Sehino Dest from Ajax Amsterdam. He's um, a Dutch-US national, right? He plays for the US national team. He's Remember, he had that had that long drawn out decision that he had to make whether he was going to play for the Netherlands or the US and he opted to play for the United States. And he has been Bayern's target since January. They have been trying to get him and try to work out a deal with, with Ajax. Um, Dest was in Munich already in, in the spring and visited the Allianz Arena and um, you know, sort of checked out the location of the stadium and the, the club itself. Um, then COVID-19 hit. And COVID-19, um, I think, threw a wrench in a whole bunch of clubs' plans. And uh, it kind of slowed things down. Now they, um, because they have lost Thiago, right? And they anticipate that Kimmich is now going to play full time in that central midfield role, as Chris alluded. They essentially only have one right back in that squad um, in, in Pavard. And Pavard is actually a center back turned right back, right? It's actually his best role is, is center back. So they, are, they, they stay internally say that that's the most important role to fill is that right back role for them because um they feel like they can they can sort of adapt everywhere else but as i said they, if they can't sign another attacking player they're just going to pluck someone from the academy so Dest, um the, the complications with Dest is the the amount of money that ajax want um, before COVID 19 hit they wanted in the region between 25 and 30 million euros that is way too much now um, that and by their own evaluation has come down to 25 million. Bayern Munich have made a bit 
the bid, the first bid was 15 million euros, which has been rejected. And they now um, want to offer around 20 million euros um, and maybe, maybe bridge that gap with add-ons. And Oliver Kahn has said, um, we know, as heard from Bayern directly and from sources within Bayern, that personal terms are pretty much agreed, but it's that 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 gap between Ajax and Bayern is is still something that they need to bridge. And Oliver Kahn has said um, after the the opening game to ZDF that uh, a deal is not done, and he added the noch nicht done, so not yet done, right? So um, still something that they're working on, but that's pretty much their number one um, transfer target. There is a chance that they might also sign a number six um, to maybe replace Thiago. Uh, I said this is a big maybe because I can't, I personally can't see a midfielder that is ready made to to fill that that void. Right? Uh, it's very hard to pre- replace someone like Thiago. He's an exceptional football player, and Chris is quite right. He uh, basically stepped from the Bundesliga where he was where he was good to the Premier League where he was exceptional in his first game. He's, he's a very good player. So I think it's going to be very difficult for him to replace him. But yes, the only thing that I know concrete that they're working on is Dest. Never walk alone from Westfalen Stadion and uh, Chris, a stadium I know you you have a, a lot of affinity for. And Dortmund looked very strong, didn't they, at Gladbach? I think I tweeted out after the eight 0 routing of Schalke by Bayern that Dortmund would need to be on their game from the get go because Bayern didn't look like they were going to give anything up. And yeah, I think this Dortmund side were were on that pretty much. You know, it took them just over thirty five minutes to get the opening goal, but I thought. They looked sharp and they looked hungry um, and they did comprehensively beat Gladbach in the end. And I don't know how much we can read into this because um, the last time Gladbach beat Dortmund, Lucien Favre was in charge. So some occasionally in football, you have a bogey team. And I definitely think that when it comes to the Battle of the Borussias, um, the bogey team is the yellow and blacks for, for Gladbach. So... Yeah, take maybe take this result with a pinch of salt because I think Gladbach are a very good side under Marco Rosa. Um, I was trying to when I rewatched, I watched this game and then I watched it again later on and watched the highlights back and I was trying to think where Gladbach could improve. But what they went with a three four three, I think, really suits Marco Rosa. I think his midfield um, with um, Neuhaus and Vent and Kramer and and Lehnerin was was very good. I just think the way Lucien Favre set up this. Dortmund side now with the back three I think that's key to it um, this whole system then he's got that bank of four and then of course he's got um, uh, a myriad of players he can choose from for that front front three with Haaland further forward and yeah Sancho and Giovanni Reina um, were were brilliant as was Jude Bellingham that came in um, obviously made his way from Birmingham City Jaden Sancho is still there pretty much think that when we do this podcast in a week's time you'll still be there and the week after that and the week after that he'll still be there um and you can see why because the the relationship he's got on the pitch with um Haaland is is fantastic um the way they cut through that midfield when Dortmund click it's it's a sight to watch a really really wonderful sight to watch and yeah it was um it was another solid performance for me um, and standout performances were, of course, Giovanni Reina, um, yeah. Haaland, Sancho and Bellingham. So I think it's the four main players um, that everyone was looking towards this season. Can they step up for some, Bellingham and Reina, and can Haaland and Sancho um, be on that top level again? And, and the answer was yes. But I'd like to give a little bit of, of praise for um, Paslak, who had to come in early for Thorgan Hazard, who was out on that left-hand side. I thought he came in. Um, and did a very good job when he was on because I think that original lineup with Mounier on the right and Hazard on the left, um, if everybody's fit, I think that can be a really good combination for Dortmund this year or this season. Um, and I think it could give them a title push, which I'm sure you're aware and Manu will be aware of. 
that Lucien Favre is in the final year of his contract and he needs a title push to maybe get him on that dugout in the Westfalenstadion next season. It's so exciting if you're a Dortmund fan because, yeah, Gio Reyna scoring his first ever Bundesliga goal, as you mentioned, he became the second youngest American player to ever score in the Bundesliga at 17 years and 311 days, 100 days older than Christian Pulisic, who is being compared to. And I'm, I think with Bellingham, Haaland, Reyna, Sancho, all of them were made in England without wanting to be too specific on detail there, uh, which is, again, quite a testament. And uh, Dortmund's so convincing, they can finally make a push because we don't want a league where it's already over at Christmas. We want a title race, and hopefully Dortmund can give us that. You mentioned Sancho, Chris, so Manu, I actually want your thoughts on the keys that are going to keep Sancho uh, at Borussia, Borussia Dortmund. Will he stay, Manu? And I don't use definites in football. Um, definitely burnt my hands doing that. But I think it's extremely likely. You, I think when you look at the parallel result that Manchester United had in, in the game against Crystal Palace and the, the situation and the, the comments that you hear out of the Manchester United camp, um, with the with the coaches and and all that, I, I don't think Manchester United right now is a situation that Jaden Sancho wants to even walk into. Um, you know, that's that's despite everything that uh, agents and all those kind of things have apparently discussed among each other. Um, I don't think they even are aware of any of that going on at Borussia Dortmund because there has never been an, a formal or informal bid made. To, to sign Jaden Sancho from 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 them, um, but I think when you look at this performance and I, I see this all the time on Twitter, lots of people saying uh, Jaden Sancho has to push for a move. Uh, this doesn't he doesn't look like a player who's pushing for a move at the moment, and I think that he is quite quite happy with the situation that he's in at Borussia Dortmund because this is an environment where he can play with with the likes of Jude Bellingham with Gio Reyna. Um, he has almost a magical connection with Erling Haaland, it appears. And Haaland has, um, you know, very, very quickly sent out a tweet after the game saying, Sancho, what a player, right? And I think uh, Sancho is very much aware that um, by him being under contract until 2023, the, the Borussia Dortmund do not have to sell him. And um, he's not going to be the kind of person that's going to push for that move either because he will have lots of options next year. That is the thing I think that people have to also realize that Manchester United are not the Manchester United of old. They're not that kind of club. They're not they're not Liverpool at the moment. They're not Chelsea where a lot of cool things are happening, right? They're not City with Pep Guardiola. They they are a team that haven't won a title in what is it now, nine years? Um, I mean, a league title, right? That have not gone deep in the Champions League. Dortmund has probably had more deep runs in the Champions League than Manchester United. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Set up an installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. I, you know, you don't really quite see it. So I, I think um, without using the definite, I think it's extremely unlikely Jaden Sancho is going to go to Manchester United in this transfer window. And as Chris said, we're probably going to talk about Jaden We're going to probably talk about him the week after. And we're mm. going to talk about him the week after that because we're... We're a Bundesliga podcast, and the Bundesliga is where he's going to going to play. Going to play. Yeah, well, I for one hope he does remain in the Bundesliga, uh, just because I want to see him carrying on lighting up the league. He's such an exciting talent. I think it's better as well to have more English players playing overseas. I don't like a lot of the one-way traffic, but Germany seems to be a great outlet for the arrival of English talent over the past few seasons. We've seen them thrive over there, and Adamola Luckman, uh, Chris. 
Russian ball sport Leipzig also had a perfect start to the season, as I mentioned, Luckman. A 3-1 against Mainz. Another young American stood out. Uh, Nagelsmann described Tyler Adams as his quarterback. So uh, what did you make of, of that game? Yes, a, a good start. And I like the way that you've used the correct term there, Hal. Um, not many people do. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you did. So well Thanks. done on that. Um, yeah, um, another another game where it would be... It, it probably sounds bad for me to say don't read too much into it, but this is um, like Gladbach off of Dortmund. Um, Mainz <laughs> don't like playing against um, RB Leipzig. And I thought they might have a day off with Timo Werner moving on to Chelsea. I thought maybe Leipzig's main threat had gone. Um, but no, unfortunately, it's it's 3-1 again for them. Um, but yeah, this is was a big test for me for Leipzig because they had lost that star man up front. Um, and obviously, Christian, Pul- uh, sorry, um, Yusuf Poulsen got me a pull of six and Poulsen's mixed up there. Yusuf Poulsen um, has, has been given that role um, as as the man now to get the goals. Danny Olmo, obviously, and, and Forsberg are still there. Um, but without Timo Werner there, Poulsen's going to become the, the main man. I know he plays centrally and Werner used to play left, but he will be the, the goal man. And I was really interested to see how Nagelsmann set up. When I heard that, Tyler Adams is going to be the quarterback. That's a lot of pressure there. Um, but watching the game and then re-watching it, he did very much play with that back three. So it, it wasn't like he was dropped back into the back four, which is kind of how Nagelsmann made it sound before kickoff. But yeah, Adams is able to to rotate in those areas just outside the box um, and just before the centre circle. So in that I don't want to use the word half space because it's it's more than that. But he operates in that area um, and he almost has free reign and he dictates the play. So he's an exceptional player um, and a really nice guy to talk to as well. But for Leipzig, it was crucial that some of their guys that have had maybe not stepped up to the plate before did. Um, and Hidara, one of those, obviously gets his goal. Forsberg was a little bit quiet last season for my liking. Um, but yeah, I think they all understand now the way that Leipzig need to play and where they need to go. And of course, they need to do better than they did last season, which was you know get to the semi-final of the Champions League um, and, and finish in the top four again. So I would expect a title push this year um, because they need to convert those draws into wins. If they can do that, both Bayern and Dortmund may have a bit of a headache. Yeah, again, we'd like that for the competitive nature of the league to be only enhanced. Uh, Crystal Palace legend Alexander Sorloff. Uh, Chris, what can you tell me about him? Well, um, yeah, didn't really get the the run of games. Um, I was talking to somebody about this last week, actually, and they've said, they said, how has Sorloff gone from what we saw at Crystal Palace to like this man who can't stop scoring um, at Trasbonsor? And it's like Diego Forlan. Some players fit leagues very well and some players fit clubs not that well. And I think Sorloff was a, a square peg in a round hole. And um, should he get over the line at Leipzig, which I'm pretty, you know, looks pretty likely, um, I think we can expect goals. Um, I wouldn't say he's a Timo Werner replacement. Leipzig need to to plug that goal gap, and I think that's what they're going to do. And if he shows anywhere near the form he had, has done in Turkey, um, I think he's going to be a real shrewd signing. Obviously, they didn't want to take up the option on Patrick Schick. They thought he was too expensive. Um, so, yeah, this is a good second option for them. Um, but the first couple of matches will be one to watch for me because he's either going to hit the ground running or he might take a little bit of time and I get the feeling if he takes that time, it might go the Crystal Palace way rather than the Trabs on Spore way. But an exciting player who certainly at this moment in time seems to know where the goal is. He's young. He's 24. You know, Palace, it doesn't make to me any sense. They need goals. They've always seemed to need goals ever since Ian Wright and Mark Bright left. And they're going to get rid of a player that could, if he's given more than sort of 20 games find his feet at Palace. So it seems like a surprise because, you know, when you are that young, it's almost like you've only got better. You've only got potential. You can reach that and achieve that. And it'd be a shame for Eagles fans to see him do that at a different club. But hey-ho, I'm not Roy Hodgson. 
Uh, nor am I Frank Rebury. Again, you can look at that on Twitter, as others have been on Twitter posting questions. And uh, I'll tell you what, Manu, we're going to come to you for this one from uh, Mike in uh, Victoria. I don't know which Victoria that is. There's, there's loads of those all over the world, but that's not really important. Where will the attacking threat and goal production come from at uh, Bayer Leverkusen? Now, Havertz is at Chelsea. Leverkusen looked flat against Wolfsburg. Manu? Yeah, this is, it's a very good question because they did look very flat. Those um, those were 90 minutes I wanted to want back because I did watch this game and um, it, it was atrocious. Thankfully, I had the Chelsea-Liverpool game on the second screen, so uh, I was entertained by that. But yeah, where will those goals come from? That's actually a question I posed to people at um, at Leverkusen when they did sell both Folland and Harvard. And so far, they've only brought in Patrick Schick, who... We've seen at Leipzig as a very good player and I, I was on a, the Total Soccer Show um, last week and sort of said for me Patrick Schick is actually more of a Kai Harvard's replacement. Before people start screaming, let me hear, let me explain why I say that because he has that aerial presence in the box, right, that Kai Harvard's often had. Um, of course, he's not going to be able to replace Harvard's productivity in midfield or his creativity in midfield. All of these things that they will have to bring in someone else or spread it among other players but I think that's really why they targeted Schick is because they, they needed someone who have that aerial presence in the box um, so that's one player um, where you say okay well that's hopefully going to provide them some goals um, Lucas Alario he was rumored to leave the club he's still there um, and I think that they're kind of hoping that maybe he's finally going to produce the goods so to speak and I think that's maybe a player that they're saying, okay, well, you have to finally step up and actually earn you, earn your money, right? Um, but it's a very difficult question because I think personally they have to do something else on the market. They have to reinvest some of that money and bring in some creativity because you replacing goals and assists is one thing, right? Um, that's that, those are numbers, but they do not. That having that creative spark in midfield, and I know they have lots of players like that. Florian Wirtz, for example, the young, talented player, but he's only 17, right? And there's going to be a lot of games from here until Christmas. And are you going to rely on a 17-year-old to basically fill that void? I think it's a bit too early. And I personally think they have to do something else on the market um, to replace some of that production. And I don't even mean the goal production itself. I mean the, the creativity that leads to those many goals. Um, before we move on to transfer updates, um, I'm hearing that Sechino Dest, um, there is an update with that. Ajax, Amsterdam and Bayern have apparently reached a deal. Um, so that's just come in. And then uh, Chris, you might find this interesting. Solod Leipzig have apparently postponed his medical. So those are two things that have just, just come in from Transfermarkt. Wow, hot off the presses. You didn't even let me get my doo -doo 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 noise out, you know, just to alert anyone who has perhaps just drifted off slightly uh, to just bring you back in for breaking Manu news, which I think if you ever need me to make a sound effect, I'm available. Uh, the next question comes from Josh Sim, and uh, I'm, I'm terrible at names, as you know, so how much pressure is Florian Korfeldt, that's the Werder Bremen manager, under at the moment? Chris, forgive me if I've mispronounced his name. I mean that'll do. Um, as for your um, your impression of a, a a beep, I can put that in post. So don't worry, we can take out your <laughs> pathetic impression, and I can replace it with an actual um, beep. So don't do, worry. Do, 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 do. Yeah, don't worry too much about that. Uh, how much? Yeah, how much pressure is he under? A lot, um, because Werder Bremen, um, with their squad and and the players that they've got at their disposal, they should be a lot better. Than they are. Um, obviously, you know they got the likes of Davi Selka up front. Then in their midfield, they've got Davi um, Davi Klassen, who obviously has played well. Um, Eggestein, another player, and they've got Josh Sargent there as well. Um, Pavelenka's in goal. They have all the ingredients really where they should be um, doing a lot better. Now, last season it went down to the very wire for them, um, and I thought that Kofelt would be sacked after that. Uh, they've obviously stuck with him. Um, and going to give him a little bit longer. But if these results come on, I'm, I'm not sure how much longer he will get. Um, and he is under a lot of pressure. And unfortunate for him, 
he's sort of following a trend of 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 coaches who are tipped for for greatness and don't actually quite get there at the moment. The likes of Andre Schubert, um, you know, another man who was tipped for the top, didn't really hit there. Stefan Schmidt, another guy. Um, I think he now manages somewhere like Hanover's under 19s or might even be their under 17 side. Um, these are coaches who were, who were tipped for the top and, and they've not been able to make it. So I think Kovel's under a lot of pressure and he needs to turn um, results around very, very quickly. Uh, whether he can do that or not, is a different matter because I haven't seen anything different in this Werder Bremen performance than I saw last season. And last season, they were absolutely awful. Well, for me, as a Hanover 96 fan, it's just nice to hear them mentioned on this uh, podcast. Hanover. Now, uh, Ander Itaraldi. Again, hope I haven't completely butchered your name. Uh, Manny, a question for you. Are Schalke the new Hamburg? Uh, you know, could also say our Hamburg, the old Schalke, but he hasn't. So, uh, Manny, what do you think? Uh, yes, I think yes. But um, I mean, you look at the the way Schalke uh, just stuck in a perpetual crisis mode, and I think that's very reminiscent of the early days of where it completely went wrong for Hamburg. Um, and being a big club, and Hamburg is is the great example of that. Being a big club doesn't doesn't rescue you from eventual relegation to Bundesliga 2 and it doesn't always mean that you're just going to bounce straight back because Hamburg are now going into the third season in Bundesliga 2. Um, it's actually quite remarkable that a city like Hamburg doesn't have a Bundesliga side. I, I spent spend quite a bit of time there because the Transfermarkt headquarters are there. Chris has been there with me as well. It's it's a remarkable city. It's a beautiful city but you know that doesn't protect you from falling into the second division. Now Schalke are a massive club as I've said a huge in, in numbers and huge in the amount of fans that they have but that doesn't protect you you have to have results and you the, the financial situation on top of that is is very dangerous if you as a player um, players are very sensitive of what's going on around them and i think when you are constantly under the pressure of reducing results but also not knowing whether the club has a financial future that that is going to sit heavily on your mind and Right now, it really looks like Schalke are just um, a mess from top to bottom. And I think that is something that's going to be in the back of the minds of a, of a lot of the players. And structurally, they just they seem in seem to be so many problems. So I think there is a huge potential there that Schalke could become the new Hamburg. Schalke are a dumpster fire. Uh, now, final question for you, Chris. It comes from Eric. There we go. There's a, there's a name I can hang my hat on. Uh, do you still see Chelsea pursuing Nagelsmann if Lampard doesn't show any improvement by the end of the year? Cool. That's that seems very tough. This, of course, Frank Lampard's first full season where he's actually got cash to spend and spend it he has. <laughs> yes, he has, and he has um, hoovered up some of the best talent the Bundesliga had on offer. Yeah, of course, this piece of news came as a world exclusive from um, from Manu via a couple of sources I know exactly where he got them from. So they do hold a little bit, well, they hold a lot of weight, actually, from where they come from, and he's got them from two separate sources. Um, I think a club like Chelsea are always looking at changing their manager, and, and I don't say that flippantly because I think the people who run the club along with Abramovich want the best for it. They invest a lot of money into it. Um, and I think a little like Real Madrid were in the late 90s, early 2000s, if if you lose three or four games on the trot, you're instantly under pressure. I think maybe it was being magnified a little bit because when they played Liverpool yesterday, Chelsea, they almost sat back, um, compare their um, way of playing football to that of Leeds the week before under um, Bielsa, and we see a different style of football. And I think maybe that's the style of football that Chelsea fans will want to see. I think he could be under threat, but if I'm Julian Nagelsmann, do I want to go there? Because we've already spoken that you only have to be a few games down and you're all of a sudden under pressure. So I don't know if that's the right fit for him. Um, money always talks, so you can never say never. Manu said that earlier. Um, but I can't see them. I can't see Leipzig letting him go early, certainly. And if um, Leipzig are where they should be, which is challenging for the title and still going well in the Champions League, I can't see why he wouldn't, or can't see why he'd want to jump ship. 
um, because yeah, he would be having to come in and he'd be under pressure straight away. But for as as part of Frank Lampard, yeah, I think he is under a lot of pressure, and I don't think it helps when he comes out with statements after the match like. Um, if Chelsea don't make the mistake for the second goal and they score the penalty, it ends 1-1. Well, that caused a lot of hilarity from people saying if my grandma had 18 wheels, a diesel engine and a 250-pound man driving her, she'd be a truck. So, you know, these are things that open you up to ridicule. Um, I think Frank Lampard's got a job on at Chelsea and there'll probably be a number of suitors who will be linked with him, but Julian Nagelsmann will definitely be up there because he's one of the best young coaches in Europe. Yeah, and I can't imagine him yelling abuse at uh, Jurgen Klopp from a a position in uh, in Anfield, which was of course picked up by the microphones. And uh, I have to say, if I can quote my mother, uh, very rude, very rude. Now, Manu, before we say uh, goodbye, is there anything you would like to leave us with? We've had a, a packed Gagan pressing, but of course, the the floor is yours for final thoughts. Yeah, I'm just glad the the season is back, that the football is back. I mean. I... I say that, but we really hadn't had much of a COVID nineteen break on on this podcast because of the of Bayern Munich's Champions League run, and um, we have done some some really good episodes. I feel during the Champions League run. So if you want to relive um, Bayern Munich's eight two victory against Barca, please listen back. I I know Chris did a wonderful job editing that podcast with um, the many goals that were scored on that day. So um, yeah, I, I'm glad the Bundesliga is back. I'm glad the league is back. I don't think the break was very really that long and um, I'm really looking forward to doing this on a weekly basis again well I'd just like to say both of you thank you very much for inviting me back it's always a pleasure I love hosting uh, Gagan Pressing I love speaking with both of you and thanks to you dear listener as well for joining us here on Gagan Pressing the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.